0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of Get the Lead Out with Dr. Chuck Stead. I got to say, just on a personal note, uh, this has been an honor and a privilege for me to be a part of this. Uh, Chuck is my cousin. His mom and my mom are uh, sisters. Uh, they are both no longer with us, uh, but I love this guy. I have since I was a kid, and I uh, I feel singly honored that he would have... Uh, Allowed me into this part of his life and his world, the most worthwhile and meaningful part. Something I've always been very proud of when I think about uh, my cousin. So, uh, thank you. With thank you, that, Joe. I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Chuck on the final episode of Get the
1: Let Out. Okay, that's some introduction. <laughs> we'll 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 talk from the heart. Yep. Uh, uh, so this final episode is called Living the Story. In the last 40 years, the true nature of Ford Motor Company contamination of the watershed has devastated much of the Ramapo community, and while this has lowered the Ramapo natives' average life expectancy by nearly two decades, it has also affected the nature of the stories with a greater emphasis on survival and recovery. Accordingly, some native tellers have gotten into the habit of referencing place names with an association to contamination. As in, this happened near the old mine hole, you know, up there where Ford did the dumping. Or, this was done down along the river, you know, where you could, you know, eat the fish at one time. Cindy Fountain is even more direct, drawing on her animism in response to contamination with references to vultures' purification sign at contamination sites and snake renewal stories for recovering community members. Over the last three decades, the Ramapo telling tradition has carried on consistent with the flow of indigenous oral cultures in that it continues to adapt to a changing social ecological nature. While it is noted that the westernization of Ramapo stories and traditions cannot be denied, so too can be found strong native influence in the non-native community. Richard Wheelock, in writing about the impact of myth on American Indian policy, speaks of the need Indian people have to retain a strong tribal identity. He agrees with Robert K. Thomas that American peoplehood requires sharing four things in common. Language, religion, ties to the land, and a sacred history. Over a hundred years ago, The intention of the American Indian schools was to co-opt those four commonalities. Little Crow's story transcends that strategy just as Cindy Fountain's stories of a vulture seeks recovery from contamination. The survival of Native themes in the Ramapo region indicates the survival of the Ramapos themselves. Native historian Ward Churchill has written, that the gleaning of Native tradition into non-Native culture is the final stage of Western co-optation of the Indigenous community, and certainly a sound argument can be made for the smothering assimilation manifest by Western consumption. Having grown up in the Ramapo region, it has been my experience that there are other subtler forces at work here whose persistence effectively undermines the all-consuming nature of the market society. Just as the institution of Christianity can influence indigenous culture, native culture can inform Christianity. When I was seven years old and attending my first Catholic confessional, a Ramapo friend named Timothy was online with me. We each took our turn in the confessional booth, whispering our transgressions to the shadow of a priest who sat behind a screen. Like our colleagues, we were then sent to the kneeler rail to say our prescribed penance, a few Catholic prayers chosen by the priest. I knelt alongside Timothy, and I started into my series of Our Fathers, when I heard his prayerful voice whispering something about Father Sun and Mother Moon, Father Sun and Mother Earth, certainly not the stuff of our Christian Our Father. I finished up my penance, but Timothy was at the kneeler, a A lot longer than the rest of us, earning him a newfound reputation of being the greatest sinner in our lot. Only later did I learn why the longevity at the rail with the curious prayers was about. He told me his grandfather insisted that for every Christian prayer he recites, he was to offer up two native prayers. The wounded storyteller descends, as we all do, from ancient pre modern roots. For indigenous people, modernism, with all its advances of scientific objectivity, cuts into their story and extracts much of its sensibility. Just as Arthur Frank has observed, the ill person surrenders her or his narrative to the medical professional industry. The native must bargain away what is left of his or her narrative to the dominant class. But this is not a complete analysis as it is based on a westernized idea of story. Native stories, as we have seen, are in constant motion. They are not easily held down to any one interpretation and reformulate themselves according to the situation. Frank's objectives in his study of wounded storytellers are all met with the indigenous narrative. Told in order to construct a direction. Told not just about the experience but through it and told in relation to social context. Frank asserts that for the wounded storyteller, postmodern times are when the capacity for telling one's own story is reclaimed. Is reclaimed. For him, postmodern experience of illness begins when a person recognizes there is more to this experience than the medical story can tell. But in order to achieve that, in order to enter that postmodern experience, we have to imagine. Arthur Frank defines imagination as being the consciousness struggling to gain sovereignty over its experience. For the postmodern teller, the place from which I would submit the Ramapose speak, there remains a wide variety of potentialities. As Frank has observed, postmodern stories are not tidy. They lack linearity. Competing voices slip in and out, and while other stories interrupt the narrative, this is also allowed. It is part of the narrative. The Ramapo's, long familiar with their narrative being interrupted, have learned to expect as much and can find themselves lost in another story quite easily. Frank's path to reclaiming one's identity, therefore one's story, is through the telling of the wounding itself. Those stories told not just about the body, but through it. Not just about the body, but stories told through the body. The body itself is the storyteller. As the Ramapo's grapple with survival, they manifest a narrative of recovery, only possible by means of relentless spirit. That is to say, the animal spirit kept alive through their stories. In the winter of 2009, I drove up to Gander Mountain Outdoor Sporting Goods. It's a store in Middletown, Orange County, New York. It's no longer there, but it was a big box store at the time. A large hunting, fishing, camping center. It was located in a town that has a wide range of social economic diversity, including some Ramapo families. I was in the market for a pair of bootliners, but I actually went there to follow up on a rumor. Gander Mountain is pretty much like the average big box store laid out with various departments. And across the open space of its main floor, you can pretty much see everything. There is a dramatic taxidermy display atop many of the clothing racks. Black bear, musk ox, elk, turkey, salmon. And there is atop a boot rack, white deer. A white deer. This was an average-sized doe with a white patch extending down across her chest and back and around most of her rump. I stood a few feet off to one side and studied her and thought about my father. Two young men walked by me. They glanced up at her, and they muttered something about it being a freak of nature. I was about to leave when my eye caught a small brown lump tucked in near to her front left hoof. I moved closer and saw that it was a miniature leather tobacco pouch, an offering to spirit.
0: Okay, now I got the chills. Wow, what a story this has been. Um, you know, I, I know that your father, Walt, had a profound effect on your, on your life and on your direction and on the path that you've chosen. And, and I think, I'm sure that he was proud of you while he was here and would be even more proud of you now from whatever vantage point you may you may have uh but certainly the indigenous people you really took them to your heart you know am i right i mean the what caused you to do that what, what
1: brought that around um i i think of all the the stead men what was different and uh mal used to say he was the philosopher mal used to say instead of commenting he'll just light and smoke his pipe so you got to watch for how many puffs come out of the pipe two is a yes one is a no that sort of thing and (laughs) that's true and i i walt told me a story about his friend um yellow dog who told him that he was actually lineage that walt was lineage of deer that he had come from deer people and um That was when we were hunting once, and I was a little boy, and he told me that story. And I was, uh, I mean, that's a great thing to tell a little boy. (laughs) It's pretty cool. right. And I found, um, we didn't get anything that day, but walking out of the woods, I found a deer antler, because, you know, they shed them. And I brought it home, and I cut us both. See, I I wear this little necklace with a piece of antler, a tine on it. I cut us both one of these. Wow. And And I've worn this. Uh, you know, one as variation or another you, yeah. of this forever. Yeah. And I and I gave one to him. And he thanked me. And then he cut the string off of it and tied it, uh, recreated it to a pocket watch fob. You know, pocket watches have a little fob that hang yeah. out of their pocket. It's the old style of keeping a pocket watch in your trousers. Yep. So he had a little antler tine sticking out of his trousers that he could pluck out to look at the pocket watch. I wanted to see it more often. and uh, And also if he had worn it as a necklace, Mal and his brothers would have ridden his ass for having gone Indian, <laughs> having gone Native. Yeah. And, uh, and that illustrates that he kept in his quiet side a lot of this stuff very personal, very personal to himself. Yeah, And I saw him do things when animals were killed that were very different than what other white men did. And I attributed that to, you know, his association with folks like, you know, Freddie Ferris and Yellow Dog and, and a mentor of his when his little boy, Billy Mann, and, and these people. And um, so I think that early on was uh, influential in, in, in my thinking. Mm-hmm. But let's give credit where it's due. I think Mal's uh, bombastic arrogance about the Ramapo's identity also influenced me because it caused me to wonder as we've done in these last couple of episodes why is that so important to these old white men Hmm. why is it so important to demean the presence of indigenous people you know what what is that about and uh it's there's not a simple answer and it's not a quick answer and it's not a not even a pleasant answer because it's about the people you love yeah but um but fortunately, and, and maybe this is the combination of Walt and Tessie in the end, because Tessie was always a contrarian and, and intellectual in her own right. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I've always been um, I, I've been good at looking the, looking at the things that are not always pleasant, yeah and, and asking why and then digging a little deeper and a little deeper. And, and I know there are steads out there who will say, "Well, Chuck, yeah, but um, uh, Uncle Mal, you know, you're not really portraying him in the way that, that's nonsense. I'm portraying him in the way that I knew him. And I never stopped right. loving him as an elder. Yeah. But he and I had an interesting relationship because um, he knew how I felt. Yeah. And he knew how, as I grew into my young manhood, what where I was going and the questions I was asking. And in his own way, he also nurtured them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He would challenge them, but not dismiss them. Yeah, challenge is good. Yeah. Challenge forces you to come up with an answer. Yep. You know, and and you don't tell... And and keep in mind, Joe, Mal could still be a son of a bitch. I'm not saying that he wasn't really difficult. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Right. But but we find that which we can work with even in our son of a bitches.
0: Right. (laughs) You know what? If we were figured out a way to do more of that today, maybe we wouldn't be so divided as the country. You don't tell stories about somebody you don't love. You know, if you don't care about somebody, their story is not really important to you, and you don't you don't recall it. Um, And I think you've kind of recalled Mal brilliantly, uh, and and I think you've you've pointed out his frustration, the things that brought him maybe to some of the short sighted, you know, assertions that he may have had. You know, there are reasons why people get angry. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, that results in them taking the wrong approach, going the wrong way, trying to find a place where blame should should live, where it really shouldn't legitimately live. And, and that's, you know, a, a large part of the problem in, in, in all the conflict that we deal with today. But I, uh, I especially appreciate and respect your dad, and, and I knew him, you know, not as well as you did, but I knew him, and and I I loved the man. I I really, there was something about him just as decent and as honest as the day was long. Um, and you know, he had his his uh, you know racist learnings. You know, you're you're taught these things, okay. But somehow, he taught you to be open minded, to look at both sides of everything, to try to understand. And your mother, I think, imbued in you the zeal to learn, to read, to find out the truth. And uh, and I would say, you know, Muffin played a role in that too. Well, oh, all sure. your sisters did. Oh, sure, oh, sure. You know, the challenges and, and the arguments, you know, over the dinner table at the house and everything. Um, you weren't just recording you were listing all the questions you had to figure out the answers to
1: yeah our conflicts it's a very good point you make our conflicts in our house you know you all think well this is how everybody lives no No. we were (laughs) 39 first street had some pretty interesting dynamics uncle mal used to say you know the problem coming over your house is it's such a damn thinky house (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it was, it was. I'll always remember the bathroom, you know. Uh, oh. You know, Walt decided he was going to, you know, redo the bathroom and everything. So they said, oh, oh really, you're going to repaint it and re-wallpaper it? Well, so that means we can uh, we can express ourselves on the bathroom walls.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. there were all
0: these, these brilliant quotes and comments and, oh, my God, I go in there and I think, <laughs> oh, man, I could stay here for another hour just reading all this <laughs> stuff, you know. And the, and the uh, crust worm forgives the plow and, the, yeah. you know, all these quotes <laughs> and everything. And, but it was. It was a very thinky house. It was a house where, you know, subjects did not pass on, untouched. Mm-hmm. Nobody said anything and, and then just the, everyone shrugged it off. Your father would listen quietly, but he certainly would react if, if in no other way but in the expressions on his face, mm-hmm. the grin, mm-hmm. you know. The moment where the pipe was, and this was rare, removed from his mouth, mm-hmm. and he would lean forward, you know I mean those that was part of his
1: language yeah, he may not have he may not have actively participated in a in an argument or a debate or a conversation, but he seldom walked away from one
0: yeah, right, right, yeah. he yeah. was in the middle of it, he yeah. was in the midst of it, and I think yeah. he appreciated it, I think he liked it, yeah, yeah, I do too, I you do know? too, yeah. I think he he admired his daughters and his son for the fact that they questioned authority. That they didn't just you know, they didn't just go along you know to get along. They they decided no 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 we're gonna we're gonna find out what's going on here you know and, and we're gonna have an opinion a unique opinion. And how many houses allow that even you know yeah I mean you know I look at. One of the biggest problems I have with with evangelicals is uh, and, and religion overall you know is I, I think religion plays a very important role in society but its desire to, to simply judge and constrain and curtail conversation no, this is it, this is doctrine. I don't want to hear anything else that destroys anyone's true understanding yeah of the deity or anything else yeah. And, uh, and in your house, it wasn't that way. And I think that really helped to make you who you are. And, and I think that once you decided to embrace the lives of the indigenous communities and the people, and you saw those that your father connected with and that your mother defended, uh, I think something kind of wonderful happened. And I don't know that any of this would have been possible or this book ever would have been written or Backport Stories, for that matter, would have been what they were uh, were it not for the the indigenous people, the, the, the Ramapo tribes. And so I want to thank them. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. we bring this to a close, I want to thank them for for instigating and challenging and reaching out to somebody like you who who responded, you know, and, and, of course, I want to thank you for responding, you know. Uh, and I could see their, their appreciation for you. I could see Cindy's and, and uh, uh, Vince Mann, I believe it is. Yeah, Vince Mann. Chief Man, right. Mann, yeah. right? And, uh, and also Chief, um, Perry. Chief Perry, Perry, right, Perry. Yeah, yeah, that we, we got a chance to speak with. You know, they, there was a genuine uh, affiliation mm-hmm. that they had with you. Uh, they, they got that you were for real you know, that you weren't just doing this. And they let you into their homes, you know. Yeah. You know, that to me was very special. I'm just thinking back on some of the things. Uh, I think that what you and and others were able to do with Ford was remarkable. I don't think it would have happened if it wasn't a group of people who decided to fight together. You know, no one person can do this all by himself, and yet, without everyone's individual effort it wouldn't have happened
1: well what we haven't covered in 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 these episodes is just that the recovery period and what we do with remediation so uh, at some other time at some later time we're going to pick up with those sections of the book to explain how that actually happened because it's a good template so it's worthy to look at we can bring some of those folks in too yeah but that would be another season and yeah. Right now we're taking a, a breather from this. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit uh, succinctly, if we can, about what might be our next project. And before we get there, before we even talk about that, right. Joe, you're thanking a lot of entities here, including me. Uh, I thank you for taking the interest in doing the legwork, and there's a lot of legwork to this. You, you hear a nice podcast, but... I, the last one I just read, I know there's two things you're going to have to edit out because I made two <laughs> mistakes in my reading. They'll it, never know. They'll never know. You don't know what this guy does. <laughs> but it's, again, it's, 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 um, it's work you love. It's work that you really yeah. believe in. You're not yeah. getting paid when nobody's getting paid here, yeah. so we do this work. And, uh, hmm. and that's really the, the empowerment of, of, the, um, of the people to do this yeah. kind of work.
0: Well, we do it because uh, we love the people involved, and we we uh, we are passionately committed to a lot of the things that are said. You know, uh, this particular book was about remedying a terrible situation, a terrible uh, polluter, really, and and it does end uh, well. It ends, you know. I mean, we got to keep on fighting the battle; and it never ends, but it it ends well and. You know, it it ends well because there were people that cared, that tried, that pushed, that, that were relentless, that did not give up, that did not back down. And that kind of brings us to, I think, what we're going to try to do, uh, you know, maybe in a month or so. Um, we've got just a few months left before what we believe will be the most consequential election in the history of the United States of America. We will either save democracy or we will lose it forever. And that is not hyperbole it is not an over exaggeration it is a reality uh, we have some very serious things happening right now in our world and we owe it to our children and our grandchildren to try to make this final hour our finest hour and so that's what we're going to try to do we're going to we're going to make an attempt to try to to try to Bring about change through understanding and call things out for what they are. And hopefully, you know, hopefully get a following that will help us to spread the word. Because right now, we have to, we have, we got to talk, America. We've got to talk to one another. We have to figure out a way to connect and communicate the reality of our situation, not the one that is prepared and created oftentimes falsely by media but but the reality of what is really happening right now and what a terrible loss it would be if if this experiment fades you know in the distance and uh, so so that's where we're going to come up with the name we're going to come up with uh, a direction and and we hope to see you real soon after this and and I mean, see you because we'll
1: probably do something in video this yeah, time. Yeah, that, that would be a, a visual kind of a podcast. I'm, I'm thinking about what you said about how the election that's coming is the most significant in U.S. history. I would, I would align it with the election of 1860 between Lincoln and Breckinridge mm-hmm. because that election essentially initiated and foretold what was about to happen to the country, and then that was civil war. Um, yeah. I, I think we are faced with something of that magnitude. I agree. And thank God mm-hmm. in that election we ended up with Lincoln who who needed to you know try to hold on to the realm. That was the birth of the Republican Party. Yeah. It's it's a a tragedy. It's 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 like a Greek tragedy. Yes. To look at the the incredible history and strength and accomplishments of the Republican Party and where it is now deteriorated into. It's it's an amazing thing to think of it. In 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 terms of the larger picture in history, but rather than getting too caught up in the larger picture of history, you're right, Joe. We got to do stuff now. And, and we have to be transparent. We have to communicate to one another. And, and my big thing, of course, being a, a, a college professor, we have to make sure we're having a dialogue with our young people because it's their country. It's yeah. their country. You know, this is what they grow into. And, and we need to be there for them. It's not like, well, we're signing off now, it's all yours, you fix the mess. We need to be a part of the remedy, right? Right. We've been a part of the problem. We need to be a part of the remedy. This Absolutely. is where we're going.
0: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And so the conversation is going to be uh, more about the current events. You, you know, we'll talk more about what's happening right now, and we'll take an issue each time and we'll speak to it to try to, you know, start a conversation. Uh, as you, as you point out, we have got to have a conversation. We cannot, we cannot and we must not be divided. Division gives power to the dividers and it makes the people weak. We are weak when we are divided. We are strong when we are unified and together. And we don't have to agree on everything. And you don't have to be wrong for me to be right or vice versa. We can have different approaches and still be a unified nation. You know, the saddest thing I think I've seen so far is, you know, and, and I won't get deep into this, but Mr. Putin has just had a conversation with the leader of North Korea. They're going to exchange uh, high-end missile technology with Korea. And uh, Korea is going to help Mr. Putin in his unwarranted attack of a sovereign nation. And it's, it's horrifying. And what, what did our Congress do on that day? they decided to attack our president and and uh, you know they're they're threatening to to impeach him at this point for no reason he hasn't committed a crime there's no evidence of a crime now of course what does this do it says to vladimir putin and to the head of north korea and to china and to everybody else we're weak. We're 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 shredded. We're we're pulling apart at the seams. And they could be only too happy to see that. So at a time when we need unity more than ever before, we have a party that has itself decided this is the time to tear America apart. This is the time for civil war. This is the time to end democracy. That's what's happening, folks. Yep. Let's let's call it what it is. So Very important things to talk about. I don't recognize
1: this party anymore. I I haven't been able to recognize it for a while now. But it's 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 legacy and it's true lineage, it's tradition. It's all been flushed down the toilet, and it's it's what it's what it's morphed into at this state is just it's just destruction and it's anarchy. You know, it's what they used to say about the liberals and the democrats back in 1968. They used to say, "Well, they're the anarchists." Well, God love them. Uh, They weren't doing this. We right, weren't right. doing this and this is this is a whole other state, a whole other level, and, and we do need to deconstruct it. Yes. And part of deconstructing it is being able to talk honestly about it. Yeah. And this is what this is what Joey and I are proposing. Honest, honest talk. Yep. Honest talk. You bet. Yeah.
0: All right. So we'll hey, see you again very soon. Chuck, thanks a million. This You're has welcome. been fun. Appreciate yep. it.
1: <laughs> oh, bye bye. Bye bye.
0: for a word from our favorite sponsor the montgomery book exchange your hometown used bookstore now at our new location at 84 clinton street in the heart of the montgomery new york business district now if you've been here before you'll love your next visit even more because we proudly share our new space with astoria hudson a clothing boutique run by our good friend katie The Montgomery Book Exchange is a place where great books survive the test of time, where you can read a book enjoyed by someone a generation before you. You might even find notes in the margin giving you an insight as to what mattered the most to the previous reader. That's how Montgomery Book Exchange turns a great book into a shared experience and the Montgomery Book Exchange is known throughout the Hudson Valley and beyond for innovations like their Facebook Live sales or their intimate author readings and book signing experiences. How about their member-driven book club selections and book club talks? And did you know you can get store credits in the form of Montgomery Book Exchange Book Bucks when you bring your well-loved and gently used books in for a store credit? You can also find your Montgomery Book Exchange friends every first Friday evening at the monthly Handmade Montgomery event, which takes place from 6 to 8 p.m. This is a wonderful event featuring local artisans and hundreds of beautiful handmade items ranging from pottery to jewelry. For more information, just go to the montgomerybookexchange.com or call them at 845 764 1787. That's 845-764-1787. There's one more thing. They have a special location at 8th Factory Street dedicated to your young readers. They call it the Montgomery Book Exchange Children's Chapter. And it features a reading garden where your children can discover the joy of reading in a wonderful and stimulating learning environment. Also at this location, you'll find Miss Claire's music cupboard featuring the award-winning research-based kinder music program. The Montgomery Book Exchange Children's Chapter is open Wednesday through Saturday. Check the website for specific class times that match your child's age. You can also contact the Children's Chapter at 845-522-9652. TheMontgomeryBookExchange.com Your hometown used bookstore. You're going to love this place.